All right. Well, at this time, the children can head out to Children's Church where there's a lesson prepared and waiting for you guys. Um, I don't know. I don't know why, but I feel the need uh, to say that at the pie auction this year, I, I will still take a pie to the face. There will be no shaving of any kind at the pie auction. Um, we don't do that here. So two weeks ago, we started talking about the spiritual exercises that you and I are supposed to be involved in, the, the spiritual disciplines. We started talking about listening, and it all, it really it should begin with that, right? Listening to the coach, listening to the instructions, listening to what it is that we are supposed to do. And we talked about how we are to seek the word of the Lord through many different ways, but to hear his voice. Then we asked ourselves, though, how do we know then if it is God who is really speaking to us? And we went into last week when we discussed discernment, which is discernment is the discovering of the unseen reality or the origin of a word, action, or situation, to know what's going on behind the scenes, to know what you can't see. So we talked about asking God for discernment, never assuming you already know the answer, and testing everything that you believe comes from God. And the scripture that we left off with last week was this one in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to begin there today. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. By this we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. So this is the Apostle John laying out and saying the, word, the world speaks of worldly things. But if you want to know if what you are being led to, what you're hearing from someone else, or what you are hearing spiritually yourself, if you want to know if it is from God, you test it with the Scriptures. And that leads us into the exercise that we are going to talk about today, and that is the spiritual exercise of meditation or meditating. You might ask yourself, well, wait a minute, why wouldn't we do study? Because he says we've got to compare it to the Scriptures, right? So study, you would think, would be the avenue there. Well, that's a false dichotomy. The reality is when you get into the Scriptures, study is a subset of meditation. Study is one of the four biblical meditations, and so we're going to look at the four biblical meditations this morning. Um, in Psalm 1, 1 through 3, David writes this, at the beginning of his psalms, which are nothing but meditations, he says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, 
which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does he prospers I want you to understand David begins writing the Psalms the first one right out of the gate in the first three verses he says if you want to be rooted and grounded in the Lord it is not study he doesn't say prayer he says it is meditating on what God has said day and night that roots you to life so to me If David, the man after God's own heart, is letting us know that if you want to be connected to the life that is in Christ Jesus, you want to be connected to this God, the creator, the sustainer of all things, this is where you do it. This is where it begins. Paul says it uh, in the New Testament this way. He says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you're going to notice today is that the meditations that we're going to be talking about, the four of them are going to come out of the Old Testament, but there are direct teachings that accentuate the same thing. They don't use the word meditate, but the principle is exactly the same, and I'm going to compare those as we go along. The meditation of the Old Testament and then the instructions that are in the New Testament so we understand uh, that this is not merely an old law kind of thing. This is a real deal kind of thing. I want to start off by saying this. I say start off. We've already started. Whatever. I want, to, I want to begin by letting you know this about meditation. The world offers meditation as a way of spiritual release, a way of spiritual exploration. Meditation is a spiritual exercise nearly regardless of who you talk to or what religion you are in. But Christian meditation is very different. Biblical meditation is very different. Whereas most meditation that is found to be outside of Christianity, it usually involves the clearing of the mind, the emptying of self, and connecting with the universe. And so they talk about your soul or you know, the, whether you want to call it the chi, your energy, or whatever. The goal is to remove self, to disengage, and to become one with something bigger than yourself. I want to lay out that is not biblical meditation. That is a form of necromancy, by the way. That is a form of seeking the guidance and communing with spirits, which in the Old Testament is highly frowned upon. Not very good. No, what you're going to find is that the biblical meditation is very specific and has very specific purposes. Now, on your sheet, you'll notice you got the fill-out form. That's great. On the back. Now, whether you got your app, you got it on there too, the notes and the, and the notes for the weekend. you got the assignments. Four days, each day, you can do one of these meditations, very simple things that you can do. So I just want to encourage you to try it. The worst that happens is your board. The best that happens is you discover the living water. So let's start. The first one, the first of the spiritual uh, meditations uh, that we see in the Old Testament is suak. Suak. Every time I read these things, I think I'm speaking Klingon or something. It was some sci-fi language made up. It, it drives me nuts. Suak means to put things in perspective, to reflect and put into perspective. 
the example we're going to use, um, you know, Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. He was promised to them. Sarah was in her 90s when she became pregnant, and uh, he grew up. So she lived a while after that, even after giving birth to him. But being of the age she was, she did die before he was married. He was very close to his mother. He was very hurt. And the passage we're going to read that, talk, that uses suach is actually talking about him dealing with his pain and the suffering that he was going through. It says that, And Isaac went out to Suach to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. What is the, this, what's happening here is, he is going out after his work day, after the day of busyness, after the day of occupation, all of the things going on in his mind, and he's going out into the field by himself, and he is attempting to put things into perspective, losing his mother. Uh, his father has sent off servants to go get him a wife from somewhere else. That would be pretty stressful, not knowing what they're going to come back with. I mean, do you trust the guys, do you not? Stress, anxiety, loss, and so at the end of his day, he goes out, and he goes to meditate. He goes to gain perspective on his day. I think in American iconography, you, you, get the, you get the old image of days long gone, long before TV, long before radio, long before internet, and you get the image there of a, of a farmer who's gone out, who's done a day's work, a hard day's work, and at the end of the day, he doesn't have a TV to turn on and occupy his mind. He doesn't have a radio to listen to. No, what he does, I, I, of course, I picture it in my head. He's got, the, he's got the straw. He puts it in his mouth. He's sitting on a chair on his porch outside with the breeze going by, watching the clouds, watching the sky. What is he doing at the end of his day? He's reflecting. He's sitting and at the end of the day, able to put everything back into perspective. We used to do that as people. We used to take time to make sure that how we felt and the way our world was, was actually set into proper proportion with eternity. So Jesus, Jesus actually tells us to suak. He doesn't use the word, but here's his instructions to the disciples. In Luke chapter 12, verse 22 to 31. It says, and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Now here's where he tells them to meditate. Consider the ravens. He's telling them to suak here. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Put yourself into perspective here, he says. If God likes the birds, how does he feel about you? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And if you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Right there, he tells them, 
When you are anxious, when you are stressed, when you are worried, when you are overcome with the thoughts of this world, what you need to do is you need to separate yourself from that world, and you need to put things into perspective. So Jesus specifically, look at the lilies, look at the ravens. God loves them. He loves you. He's putting it all into perspective. We don't do this enough. Listen, that's why I'm not a, okay, how do I say this? I'm not a camper. Jenny always goes, hey, let's go camping. And I'm like, have fun. I'm not going. But I did go to camp growing up, church camp. And I wouldn't trade the experience in there for anything. And I absolutely love that these teens were up here sharing the experience about camp. Do you know why it's powerful? It is powerful because they are pulled from the noise of the world and put into a circumstance where they can reflect, they can suak. They're in nature. It's why camp is the number one determiner of a child's faith. Next is parents. You're beat by camp. Probably because you're noisy. Camp, they get off by themselves. They're able to put their life in perspective. They're able to see the bigger world. Our world is so small, the way we've built it and structured it, that we miss God in it. Make time to put your life in perspective. Are you going through health problems? Are you struggling? Put that into eternal perspective. Consider Consider for a moment that God heals you. What a fantastic story. What if he has you remain exactly where you are? Then your dedication, your perseverance stands as a testimony to those around you. What happens if you succumb and you perish? then you get to go home. Putting things into eternal perspective allows us to get outside of the world and be joyful. So I encourage you, take time daily to put your life into perspective. Number two, it looks like Haggah, but it's not. Why would it be? It's daga. Daga. It means muttering, uttering, or repeating. Taking a very simple phrase and just saying it over and over again. Opening up a word of scripture and reading one verse over and over and over again. Listen, here's what happens when you do this. Here's the power behind it. Because it almost sounds ridiculous. It's like after I've read a verse. See, well, we as Americans, this is what we do. Uh, we, We open it up, we read the verse, and we're like, ah, I got it. I now know it. That means I understand it. No, it does not. It means you know it. You may know the scripture. You may even have it memorized and have absolutely no idea what it means. Understanding comes through meditating on it. It comes through, and this is, daga, is the muttering, the repetition. I was at a conference one time, and there was a guy I'd never been exposed ever to Christian meditation at all. Biblical. That's what I'm talking about. Biblical meditation. Never been exposed to it before. This guy came in with some Ignatian things that, uh, that this guy named Ignatius had come up with. And, and one of the things was daga. And, and he sat us down. There were hundreds of us sitting there. 
And I don't think any of us had any experience because we all looked like deer in the headlights, like, what is this guy doing? And he sat there, and he read this passage of where Jesus was walking along, and there were blind men. And they cried out, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. You've probably read that passage before, right? We've all read that. So he said, he said, here's what we're going to do. He goes, I'm going to set the clock. We're going 10 minutes. We're going 10 minutes. And you are going to just say that. Mutter it. Don't, say, don't, don't be loud, but you can't be quiet. Say it over and over to yourself. So we did. And for six minutes, it was probably the most uncomfortable I have ever felt. Sitting there, looking around, a bunch of people muttering to ourselves like madmen. All of us completely and utterly unhappy that we are doing this. But something, something changed. It went from being silly to being meaningless. Do you know, have you experienced that where you... Uh, a human thing where we say the, a word and we repeat it over and over again. Eventually the word begins to sound foreign or it begins to not sound like it should actually be a word. I don't know if you've ever done that or if my brain just doesn't, you know, go all the way up to the top. One of those, that's the next stage. All of a sudden the passage didn't mean anything. I, 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 could, I mean, it was just weird. But then, every time I read it, Something jumped out here. Something connected here. And instead of saying, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, I found myself going, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And every time I repeated it, it was never the same. Every time was a different expression of the heart. It was so weird until the point where at the end of the 10 minutes, all of us were bawling. Bawling. Because in that moment, because of that meditative practice that this guy made us do, we suddenly experienced what it meant and felt to cry out to him for mercy again. In Joshua 1.8, as Joshua is taking over from, the, from Moses, this is God's instruction to him. He says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall daga, you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you are careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success, daga. What is God saying to Joshua? He's saying, you need to be running this law through your minds, out of your mouth all the time. You need to be imprinting it on your heart. Jesus, when he talks to us, he says that he wants us to write the law upon our hearts, right? That we're supposed to have the circumcision of the heart. He's supposed to write the law upon our hearts. And that happens through repetitive muttering, uttering. And it sounds weird, but it isn't. I'm going to date myself for half of the room. You will understand exactly what I'm talking about. And the other half, Google it. I learned how to type on a typewriter. It was a machine that you didn't plug in, that didn't shine. It did not print out. You hit buttons and an arm 
smacked your paper. When you hit it, an ink ribbon came up, hit it, and the letter would be imprinted on the paper. Nothing. Very little in life more annoying than the night before doing your paper. Yes, I know. That's why you're not supposed to do it the night before. The night before doing my paper for high school, typing out, we ran out of ribbon, ran out of ink ribbon. I got so mad. I can remember I just, no, 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 and you just keep hitting, hitting the same button because you want, maybe if I hit it hard enough, it'll show up. But you know what I, you know what I saw? And what's kind of interesting about a typewriter? Even if there's no ink, you strike the button, and it leaves a mark. Not paper. It actually dents, or not ink, it actually dents the paper. If you keep repeatedly hitting it over and over again, each strike imprints that letter deeper and deeper into that paper. You do it long enough, you can get out and you can try to rub out that. It's, it's imprinted in it. It's not going anywhere. That's what this is. Exposure to the truth, that's one thing. I, I, that's great. It is this repeating. There is the power in the repeating. So Paul says it this way. Uh, he, he, I mean, it's not, he, again, he doesn't use the word dog but the principle is right there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. See, you know, that's one of those passages that if you don't, if you don't put it in its proper context, we go, all right, these are good things I should be doing. Now, Paul is saying, as you walk in your life, you should be uttering, muttering, reciting, remembering, praising. That what he has done should always be at the fore of your mouth. When I remind myself of my blessings, I'm more thankful. When I remind myself of how much he's taken care of me, even in the hardest of circumstances, I can find joy. Imprinted on the heart. Most of us, we get it here. It's easy to put information in here. It is very hard to put it in here. This is the typewriter with ink. This is the typewriter without got to be repetitive on the heart. Number three. Higayon. No, I said that wrong. Wrong emphasis. Higayon. Higayon means musically speaking the truth. Has anyone ever seen or know what goes on in a bar mitzvah? One of the things, as the, as the young Jewish boy is coming of age, he has to go in and he has to publicly read the scripture just as they did in Jesus' day. You know, you got the stories where Jesus gets up publicly reads and then the people discuss. They have to do that as part of their transition from child to manhood. But one of the neat things about it they sing it 
when they read it. Why? In fact, the rabbis, as they would memorize the scriptures, memorized it by song. The reason is, I'm going to tell you, I've said it before, and I mean this. Music is a spiritual language. It is more than just rhythm and notes, and it is a spiritual language. It bypasses the mind, and it moves directly to the heart. In fact, if you don't want it, too bad. If you are listening to it, it is being pressed upon your heart. You don't even have to think about it. Okay, so for any of us who were raised in the 80s and 90s, here's two songs. You tell me what product I'm singing about. Give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that. When was the last time you saw that commercial? Well, you've never. Why do you know that? Why is that? It's not here. I wasn't sitting here thinking about chocolate. I am now. Why? Because they imprinted it on me. I'm sitting there hanging out. It's on the TV. I'm not even paying attention to it. It bypasses my head and hits there. It sinks in. That's why I'm careful about the music I listen to because it sinks in. It, and it. I used to tell my mom, you know, mom, I, I'm not listening to the words. Oh, man, that, that, and that, and that was true. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be listening. It bypasses your mind. It goes straight here. All right, how about this one? To all beefs, patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Big Mac. Okay. Not as a great example, I see. That's one. Constantly. That's why radio people, if you turn on the radio and there's an ad, what do they do at the end of the ad? Cade, can you sing me the bull one? Oh, he's in there. My kids run around singing the 1-800-241-BRAD all the time. You, you know what I'm talking about? It's all the time. Why do I? I don't, I don't need a lawyer. But I'll tell you what, if I ever need one, I, I know who to call. The bull. Why? As I'm driving, I just hear this stupid jingle in my head, and now it's stuck in here, and I don't want it. I don't, I don't want that, but it's stuck in there. It's, and it's never going anywhere until Alzheimer's. It's nowhere. That's why we worship as Christians. sing truth and it bypasses our mind and goes straight to the heart. If you go in and you don't know the words and you just close your eyes and let the music in, you will learn just as much. It's weird. I felt love and joy. I felt warmth when I sat in Greece in a, in a service where they sang all of the songs in Bavarian or Bulgarian. One of the Bs. I didn't understand a word. I felt it. It was just emanating. It washed over me. 
So David says this, Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Higayon. Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What is he saying there? He's saying, God, God, I don't want to just engage you mentally. Engage your truth here in my heart. I want to experience your truth. In Ephesians, this now 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 that you understand, Higayon, now this passage is going to is going to suddenly make sense where it may not have made sense before. Ephesians five eighteen to twenty one. Paul, um, uh, there Paul writes, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Speak to one another. Address one another in music. He doesn't say get together and worship. This is a weird passage. Like when you come in, I should be like, hello, family. And you would feel it. Isn't that weird? I remember being a little kid. And whether I was tired or I was sick, I can remember my mom stroking my head and singing songs to me. I even remember the words, but that's not it. I remember the love that was poured out dumped into me. That's what Higayon is. Connecting with God. Bypassing the brain. So how do you do that? It's simple. Do you know how many, have you ever done this where, where uh, you, you're, you've learned songs and then you're reading through the Bible and you're like, oh, that, that's that song I'm singing. You know, that's that song I've, ever, I've always sang. A lot of our songs are written straight from the scriptures to help you learn them. In fact, before there were worship songs, Oh, and by the way, before there were hymns, like we do them, there were psalms. The early church just sang the psalms. They put the psalms to music, and that's what they sang when they got together. It's powerful. Any worship, any song of praise that recognizes God, if it's in your head, sing it as you're going to work. Sing it, hum it, mutter it. Whatever it is, just melodically share it. It's a heart connection thing. Listen, uh, now here, this is, I'm going to, I'll just go ahead and say, because I don't, I guess I just don't care what people think of me. My kids know this. I, I make up songs all the time. And when I'm by myself, I make up songs to God. And they're not good. They're not good at all. But I will sing just however I'm feeling in some melody. There's just something about that connection. Higayon. Last one. Here we go. Siak. So we did Suak, now we're doing Siak. Okay, Siak is what we would normally associate study. What we call study is actually Siak. It is to contemplate, it is to ponder, it is to wrestle with. This is what we do when we gather together and do Bible studies. 
For most of us, it's probably what we do if we read our Bible at any time. We're trying to understand it. We're trying to contemplate it. We're trying to apply it to our lives. We're trying to seok. We want to, we want to uh, understand it better. We're going to wrestle with it. We're going to take the truth of God. We're going to impose it on our life, and we're going to change ourselves to be more like what it is. We open it up. We read it. We ponder it. We wrestle with its application. Psalm 119, 23 to 24, here is Seok. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statues. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. What does he say? doesn't matter the situation. The whole world coming against me. Everybody collapsing in. There's threats on every side. I'm in danger right now. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to study your word. I'm going to understand what you tell me to say. Everything's crashing down, and he's going to consult God. What do I do? This is where we dig, we push, we fight with our own understanding. Do not mistake yourself. This is not taking what you want to find in the Bible, which is called eisegesis. It is exegesis, pulling what it says out. The Bible does not conform to us. We are to conform to it. We seek, we search, and we conform. So Paul talks about contemplation and pondering. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in all righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We've done some seok here. Hopefully you've learned something that you didn't know before. And it's come from the scriptures. Explaining, expounding, pondering, contemplating, wrestling with. Paul says it is this scripture that changes, transforms, makes us better. But we have to come to it and allow it to do so. The word will teach us things that we never knew. I, I've, been, I've done college. I've done master's. I have been doing this for over 20 years. And I still find things all the time. And the cool thing is they just, it's like the closer you get to finishing a puzzle, the more exciting it is because it, it moves faster and, and things all of a sudden fit in easier. It's amazing. So here, here's, here's a nice image to take home. We have, we have four meditations. Seok, Suok, Daga, and Higayon. So here I stand as the antediluvian man. If I go to the gym... And I pick up the barbells with my seok, with my study. I'm going to wrestle and I'm going to ponder and I'm going to try to understand that scripture. And I go and I work it out. Every time I'm in the scripture, I'm doing seok, which is, by the way, what we do. We, we go nuts with that seok. We're going to understand and wrestle and apply and we're going to, make, we're going to understand this scripture. And we don't do any of the other three. Now, if I go to a gym and I only work out one of my arms, 
none of my legs and leave the other arm not doing anything, I'm going to look like a messed up half Popeye. How stupid would you look? What's up? Huge beefed out arm. You'd look ridiculous. And you wouldn't be able to do anything. This is an exercise that requires us to find ourselves in all of this. Constantly putting ourselves into eternal perspective. Repeating, reminding ourselves of the truth. Melodically doing so to get it instantly to the heart. And wrestling with the ultimate mystery and truth that is in the gospel. He's in all of it. He wants to engage you in it. I encourage you to try those four things this week. And right now I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to sing 